Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Former Southampton goalkeeper coach, uh, Andrew Sparks, thanks for coming on, mate. And you think about it, actually, four seasons in the Premier League. Yeah, actually, it's not, not too bad. I think when you start in, on a journey, whether you're a player or a coach, and you start kind of relatively towards the bottom, you, you never really know how far it can take you. Randomly, I got um, a LinkedIn message from Orlando Pirates in Africa. They said Orlando Pirates is one of the biggest clubs in Africa. So I went, yeah, let's go. Let's do goalie or no goalie, right? Oh, here we go. I remember I still got the text from Ralph saying, hi, it's Ralph Hassan, Southampton manager. But when, I, when you get an opportunity in the Premier League, you have oh, to take it. And for me, it's about trying to coach them for who they are in terms of their style of goalkeepers yeah. and not saying, like, I all want you to be the same. Went, see the grooves there, yeah. outlined it in the black pen. And I was like, actually, that looks all right. Right, I'm going to put you on the spot for this last one, right? Best goalkeeper you've worked with. You're literally like um, a manager of a small team. Yep. Not just a goalkeeper coach. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Yours Mine Away podcast with me Mark Howard. Uh, today I'm joined by a, a, an amazing guest, I'm very excited to have him on, uh, former Southampton goalkeeper coach uh, Andrew Sparks. Thanks for coming on mate. Yeah, thanks for having me. No, I, I'm obviously delighted to get you on, you've worked with a, a very high calibre of goalkeepers and stuff uh, that we'll definitely get into. Uh, but firstly, uh, obviously you're out of work at the moment, uh, you've got a slight injury as well but I want to talk about uh, a little bit about the the insecurities of being a, a coach, a manager of like, you never know when your job's going to come to an end or you never know when your next opportunity is going to come about. Yeah, it's, um, I, I had four fantastic years at Southampton and um, yeah, I guess with the job comes that insecurity at times. So yeah, new manager comes in, brings his own goalkeeper coach and unfortunately this time, yeah, have to, have to move on. Um, there's other times when managers come in and stuck with the same goalkeeper coach. So, um, yeah, for me, it always depends on the new manager coming in, if he's got his own staff. So sometimes you can last, yeah, a good chunk, like four years. Sometimes it can be four months when there's a changeover and, you know, it can be nothing down to your ability, but just the circumstances in, you know, the new manager wants to bring his own uh, goalkeeper coach in who he trusts and work with, which... I think you completely understand as well. So, um, yeah, just in this case, it hasn't worked out. But in the case of Southampton, Ralph Hasenhutl brought me in, who knew me from from the Red Bull model. So I kind of benefited on that side to come in in the, in the first place. So it can work both ways. But um, as I said, at, at this point, unfortunately, it didn't work my way. Yeah, obviously, a lot of like my listeners and the listeners around the world and stuff, they don't actually understand like the day-to-day of like, two or three bad results and you, you, your head's almost on the chopping line and stuff but then it goes on the flip side of that as well if you do two or three like good results good performances your manager's getting linked and you're thinking oh I could end up going with him wherever he ends up going uh, football in general is such a short career and to to establish yourself at one club it's just not really a thing anymore is it it's, it's changing the way that the game is yeah I, I think obviously when I've come out of a job people have said oh you've done you know really well to be in the Premier League for four seasons and when you're in it you don't think about it but when you've come out of it you think actually four years 
you know, some people, you know, maybe get one opportunity to last three months or six months or nine months, two seasons. But then you think about it, actually four seasons in the Premier League. Yeah, actually, it's not, not too bad. No, it's very good. Oh, oh as well, I was going to mention your age here. That you're, oh, you're 37 now, 38? 38. 38, so four years ago, 34 years old, yeah. coaching in the Premier League, yeah. coaching Premier League goalkeepers. is an incredible achievement, considering I'm 36 and I'm still playing. But to say that you went into coaching 14, 15 years ago and your progression has been pretty quick around the world anyway. Yeah. I think when you start in, on a journey, whether you're a player or a coach and you start kind of relatively towards the bottom, you, you never really know how far it can take you. Um, and then, yeah, I think everyone wants to be a Premier League footballer when you're growing up or play for England or Wales or, or whoever. And, um, yeah, for me, didn't have the, the playing career. So, you know, my focus was to try and be the best coach I could be and kind of went quite quickly and ended up with some really good roles around the world. And, um yeah, to make it in, into the Premier League at 34, it was, yeah, I think it's what you dream of. And then it happens and, and you're in it. And four years later, um, you can say you've worked yeah, four years in the Premier League. It's um, it's some some achievement. It's a massive um, achievement, yeah, yeah, fair play. But then it's once you're there, you want to stay there. Um, and I think when you come out of it, you, you actually don't really appreciate what you had when you were there. So, um, yeah, for me, it's now about looking for the neck up next opportunity uh yeah try and work at the in the highest level possible but at the same time it's it's not as easy as just going oh yeah i'll just jump back in the premier league or jump back in the championship or league one it's um yeah there's some really good goalkeeper coaches out there and there's also goalkeeper coaches who are attached to managers as we just talked about yeah. so um yeah there might be an opening but then a new manager goes in takes manager uh, goalkeeper coach with him so um yeah it's it's difficult, but uh, yeah, hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, no. Uh, one of the things that I, I've always wondered about being a goalkeeper coach is: is it better to be attached to a manager, or would it be better to just solely work for the goalkeeping department of a football club? And I always think that a goalkeeper coach should always have the best interest of the goalies at heart, and, and therefore it should almost be the club's decision, and he should work for the club. But obviously, like you said, some managers don't trust that situation and they want to bring their own man in. So it's a, it's a catch-22. It's a very difficult line to cross. Yeah, I think with if you go with a manager and it's, say, a top manager, you can almost go to some really good clubs and um, yeah, work at the highest level if you're obviously you're going with a top, top manager. But there's other times when a manager might be out of work, but he's okay because he's had probably a nice little payoff. But from the backroom staff, you know that... The, it's not the same. It's not the same. So you could probably survive for a little bit. Yeah. Um, where a manager could probably have two, three years at the game, and it's. But then the backroom staff, we have mortgages to pay and, and the rest of it. So, yeah. um, it can, as I said, it can work both ways, different circumstances. Um, yeah. If you work with a manager, you've kind of got security that you know it might be a few more months. But if you work with the club, as 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 we've had this year, we had two. Ralph brought me in and those two other coaches who and I stuck with. So, yeah, as I said, it works both ways. It does, right. So I've got a couple of quick fire questions for you just to, to break the ice a little bit, right? So do you have a favourite goalkeeper kit colour? Like yellow. Yellow, yeah. yeah. Like the luminous yellow, a proper fluorescent one. No, Are you like, a, a um, traditional yellow? Yeah, traditional yellow. Nice, yeah. All right. Uh, play out from the back or kick it long? Play out from the back. Nice. Right, favourite ever goalkeeper? Peter Michael. Yeah, hands down. Yeah. yeah, I think he was 
um, yeah, when Man United were yeah, dominant in, in the 90s, he was the go-to. He was, I think you ask any anyone kind of my age group, which Michael. Yeah. Um, I, I think there was two. I think it was obviously David Seaman. You was either a David yeah. Seaman camp or you was a Peter Schmeichel camp. And obviously I came through at Arsenal and that. So I was always like, oh, David Seaman. But then like, I love watching clips now of what Peter Schmeichel did. Yeah. And I, and I think when you talk about Peter Schmeichel and, and the clips, it's only when you look back now and probably more so as a coach, you realise that he was so unorthodox. It's bizarre, isn't it? And that some of the things he did that you'd never coach or whatever, but he was just so effective. Um, and I think it's just the presence. I've, I've met him a few times yeah. and, and the presence is like... Big, imposing guy. Yeah, yeah massively. But um, as I said, like David Seaman going through, obviously from Wales, but... Wales never qualified in yeah. those days, so it was almost you're looking out for England. So David Seaman was kind of on the international stage, was the goalkeeper I used to look out for. Who would have been the Wales goal at the time? Jonah? Paul Jones? Yeah, he was. It would have been back end of Nev, wouldn't it? Back end of Nev, and then, yeah, Paul Jones. Um, yeah, Mark Crosley. Yeah, Mark Crosley. Wow, what a left foot he had on him, by the way. Um, who else? And obviously Wayne Hennessy started to come, yeah, yeah. come through, and Wayne's obviously been there for. For a while now. Yeah, right. Match of the day or Sky Sports News? Match of the day. We didn't have Sky as a kid. Yeah, nice. Uh, long sleeve shirts or short sleeve shirts? Keep it traditional, long sleeve. Yeah, yeah. Like, I like the traditional element. You, you mentioned already about yeah. your white gloves and yeah. the yellow jersey. I like it. Um, best goalkeeper in the world right now? Tough one. I like Allison. Yep, I, I I agree. I think yeah. Allison has everything yeah, in the locker. Does. Yeah, where I think that you look at the Courtois, unbelievable shot stopper. Is he as good at doing all the other things that Allison and obviously Edison's distribution's a joke? But I think Allison's got a bit of everything. I think all around he's yeah the most complete. Yeah, right. As a goalie coach, right, this would be a good one because I normally ask my guests this. But head tennis or goalie wars? Head tennis. Head tennis. Goalkeeper coaches hate goalie wars. Do you play goalie? Did you play goalie wars? As a kid, loved it. Yeah. But I'm... Um, As a coach, why don't you do it enough? <laughs> I don't. It's a good question, actually. Um, it's competitive. Yeah. You're working on striking the ball as hard as you can yeah. to beat the other. It's com like, uh, and it's shots that are unorthodox. I think it's one of the best drills for a goalkeeper because it's the pure reactive element of you don't know what's coming. Maybe that's because of that. Yeah, because also of, for injuries. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how? Uh, yeah, so-and-so's broke his finger. How do you do that? Yeah, we're playing goalie walls. Yeah, true. And so, I think great. sometimes it's a perception of, um, or when the gaffer looks over and you've got two goals and they're, they're spanking balls at each <laughs> yeah, other, true. you're like, mm. One of them's got a tight fire, the other one's got a broken yeah, finger. Yeah, exactly. So maybe that's why I play it a little cautious. Right, I'm going to put you on the spot for this last one, right? Best goalkeeper you've worked with. You don't have to answer it. <laughs> I'm just going to put you on the spot. They're all good in their different ways. Uh, aren't they? Yeah, we, obviously we talked about yeah. this before that everyone, every goalkeeper is so different, yeah. uh, and it's hard to pinpoint exactly which goalkeeper is the best at certain attributes. Yeah. And I think that's what makes us all so special is that you don't have to be amazing at one thing, but if you can collectively put everything together, like an Allison, he puts yeah. everything together. He's not. I couldn't tell you apart from his one-on-one -on -one shot stopping. I don't think he's unbelievable at one thing. I think he's just collectively. Van der Sar was the same. Yeah, I, th I think with goalkeepers, they're 
yeah, there's always different levels, whether, you know, one's better at crossing or shot stopping or distribution. Um, but I think that's that's sometimes the, the nice part about it where you, yeah, you want to develop and that's what you do as a coach. You identify areas where you want to really develop maybe a, a part they can improve, but also if they're really good at something, I also like to keep trying to push them into that and make it almost like a, a super strength. Superpower, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, each goalkeeper is different and, um, yeah, work with different characters and different profiles and, and things like that, but they all pose you different challenges, um, which is part of, the, part of the fun and part of the journey. Yeah, right. So uh, I want to go back to the start then. From Obviously, you would have played in goal as a kid and stuff like that, but why goalkeeping? What was it? What attracted you to to playing in goal? I literally was the fat kid. Was it really? Yeah, Looking yeah. at you now, you wouldn't tell yeah. that. I got a photo, but it's uh, <laughs> yeah. So I started off, I think, under eight, and I was like centre midfield and one like player of the year for the local team. And I think it was the first year mini football came in. Um, so before eights, I think we we're playing always in the big goals, and they brought in like the new format. Somehow I ended up in goal, and I think because I ended up in goal, just literally standing in the goal frame didn't run or anything and then literally became the fat goalie I guess um and then yeah just stuck just stuck there and yeah kind of played school boys and all those kinds of things and actually enjoyed it um I think back then it yeah just getting muddy and diving around and and those types of things and I think yeah role models started to come in and Peter Schmeichel David Seaman um so then yeah you, you kind of start to enjoy it and then you're good at something and then you kind of climb up the ladder a little bit. And uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of the the early days of that, really. It's always like you get a few, when you first go and go and you get a few plaudits off your mates or off your parents and that, and they give you that little pat on the back. You're like, I really want to do this. This is good, this. Because yeah, uh, for me, going and playing right back for a team and no one really talks about you, whether it's good or bad, I'm like, bit boring that. Like, But being in goal, you was always the one that everyone was, especially as a kid now, coming through it. Goalkeeping is really tough, and I think it's getting highlighted more and more over the years. But when you're young, it, people don't realise the growth spurts that you go through. Your, your body's changing. Uh, you're, you're not as strong as you should be. Like you can't kick the ball out of your own yeah. goal area, let alone have it like distribute the ball properly. So all these things when you're eight to twelve year old are so hard. Yeah, and I think sometimes the when you're in that age group and I've worked in academies and the age group coaches there literally think you can do everything. Oh, why can't he side volley or, um, yeah, he should be punching that or he's, no way, he's, he's seven, eight years old. Stop the ball. That's about as good exactly. as it's going to get. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, there's this pressure on those kids, even, even at that age, because I guess coaches see stuff on the TV and think, oh, why is little Johnny's not, being able to do that but we know obviously there's um yeah you, you get some pros who can't even do it but you know the the younger coaches obviously want their their players to to do it all don't yeah. they right i want to talk about your own playing career then you said that you played like schoolboys and stuff did you ever get scouted for teams and did you go into like academy systems or? so i was kind of like um a little bit late on that so i played like swansea schoolboys and stuff and um yeah didn't didn't go into an academy till till later where I was playing like Welsh Premier stuff 16, 17. Um and then Swansea needed a training goalkeeper with their under nineteens at the time. They had obviously three years YT. But Swansea Division Two literally had no money. Um but I said, yeah, I'll come in and train. So I ended up training with them for like two years and 
at that point it was the small youth team like 10 12 players and the first team would be on the next pitch so I ended up training obviously with with the first team quite often and then my games were with playing in the Welsh Premier um so they couldn't pay me so then they said actually can you do some coaching in the center of excellence at the time so my money kind of came from the center of excellence in the night so yeah. I train in the morning um coaching the in the night and that's how the kind of coaching evolved but I still hand in with the playing and Saturday's playing in the Welsh Premier um so yeah that that was kind of my journey and it then I started to get into the coaching uh and the playing the kind of took a bit of a backseat and I ended up going to America quite early when I was 20 so that was when I almost had to give up playing and then it kind of just snowballed really quickly from there so um yeah very mediocre um playing career but do you reckon that was maybe uh because of opportunities in Wales that's near Swansea would have been a lot more limited than if you lived near a London team that obviously there's so many more teams so many more academies you could have went to but living in Swansea, like you said, there's only Swansea, Cardiff are the massive rivals, and then there's like obviously the yeah. Welsh teams and the academy systems just aren't in place there to yeah. what the level of England are. I think first and foremost, I probably wasn't good enough. Um, that's probably the main thing. Uh, but yeah, as you said, like when, when you're in, in Wales, it's you almost go Swansea, Cardiff. If you don't make those, you almost go right, Welsh leagues. Yeah. And there's so many players in the Welsh leagues who have played for Swansea and Cardiff. Yeah. Um, as you said, it's not like London where if you drop down from professional team, you can go into uh, like non-league. But in Wales, it's literally Swansea, Cardiff into the Welsh leagues and sometimes lower than that. So, yeah, yeah opportunities aren't as as fruitful as I, I was as at here. Cardiff at 19 uh, in and about the first team and all the lads that were coming through, every single one of them that got released, it was like straight away they went to like a Welsh team. Yeah. And like that was... It was almost like that was a given for them, yeah. where like the English players that had come over and played for Cardiff, not 18, 19, we all just were straight away, now we're going back to England to get into a proper academy again and yeah. go that, get back through the system again. It was, there's two complete switches in mindsets. I think with, if you think about, well, going back to kind of my age group, not many players came out of Wales into English clubs. Yeah. Um, and they used to say, even before my time, that like Welsh players used to get homesick quite often um and i don't know whether it was kind of like the comfort of home and wales and being from small towns and stuff um but obviously now wheels evolved a little bit more and and you, you're getting players yeah moving at young ages now but yeah not many players kind of and it, it's the same when i went to america as a coach it was what you're going to america but you're from wales shouldn't you be staying in wales um but yeah, it's sometimes it's opportunities and sometimes it's a, maybe a little bit of a mindset as well. Yeah, right. Before we get on to then your coaching and getting across the planet then uh, yeah. around the world, let's do goalie or no goalie, right? Oh, here we go. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. 
Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. What a save from Mark Howard. Yeah, so uh, for those that don't know, Andrew's been texting me asking me not to make it too difficult for him uh, and trying to learn up a little bit of knowledge. But I think you know the script now is more of a trick than it is about knowledge, right? So I've got five goalkeepers, international goalkeepers from around the world and five random names. Uh, You know the script, yeah, one point for each answer. I said I'll just answer goalie goalie. for everyone. So I I don't, you know. Imagine if I've put in 10 no goalies. I can't do that. You might. I can't do that. Right, you ready? Yeah. Right, number one, Stoll Dimitrovesky. No goalie. He is a goalie for North Macedonia and Vallecano. That's start. Come on, Andrew. That's start. Right, number two, Hung Fei Yap. No goalie. Goalkeeper for Hong Kong <laughs> and Eastern AA. Not a bad start, that is it? Ah, it's a terrible start. Zero for two. You've got to get this one now. Right, number three. Jose Riviero. No goalie. He is not a goalkeeper. He is a current manager for one of your former teams, Orlando Pirates. I thought I recognised the name. Yeah, right. Number you're on you're on one now. You're off the mark. Let's go. Right, number four, Bryn West. No goalie. Why do you know that? You recognise the name, don't you? It's Rob Brydon's character uh, from Gavin and Stacey. There you go. All of your answers here, by the way, have got a little tie to one of your previous clubs. I can see the theme here. Yeah. Right. Number five, Carlos Lampe. Have you said it right? Carlos Lampe. I'm saying that. Let's go with that. No goalie. He is a goalkeeper. He is Bolivia and Bolivar goalkeeper. Good old Carlos there. Yeah. Right. Two out of five. Come on, you can do better than this. I think this one you'll get anyway. Right. Number six. Wolfgang Mozart. No goalie. He is not a goalkeeper. It's obviously one of the greatest composer from Salzburg. There you go. Another tie to one of your previous teams. Right, number seven, Ali Law. Ali Law. No goalie. He is not a goalkeeper. He is a famous YouTuber from Southampton. Perfect. Is that four? (laughs) Uh, I think you're up to four now, yes. Just a little slow on that. Yeah, just (laughs) making sure you're on it. Right, number eight, Kevin John Louis. Kevin John Louis. Gets you thinking, doesn't it? He sounds like a goalie. They all sound like goalies. That's the whole point. <laughs> what are you saying? Goalie. He is a goalkeeper. He is the Mauritius and Pamplemousse goalkeeper. Big Kevin John Louis, great name, that. Yeah. Right, number nine, Ricardo Jerez. No goalie. He is a goalkeeper for Guatemala and listen to this for a team. Chattanooga Red Wolves. Oh, right. Chattanooga Red Wolves. What what a name that is. Right. Finally, number 10. You're on five. You can get six. Come on. Yeah. Number six. Dietrich Matt Schitz. Oh, My pronunciation yeah. is terrible. Dietrich. Dietrich. Matt Schitz. No goalie. 
<laughs> he is not a goalkeeper. He's a co-founder of Red Bull. Correct. Obviously, another link to yeah. one of your former teams. I had to put a few links into your former team. Six out of ten. You happy with that? Yeah, that's solid. Solid. It's not an easy quiz. It's, it's not, not meant to be easy. It's not. No. Yeah. Just chucking ten random names at you. You no should do goal. it one one time. Just kind of either put all goalies or. I should do. I should throw people off. That'd be a really good way. Right, uh, I want to crack on with uh, some of your coaching. Like we said, uh, you've been all around the world and stuff. Uh, obviously, you started off at Swansea, like we said, but how did the, the opportunity come about to go over to, to New York Red Bulls? So I was coaching in the Centre of Excellence at Swansea, uh, as I said, Division 2 at the time. So um, just by chance, one of the office staff, her nephew worked in New York and they were like, oh, we need a coach to come over and, and do some coaching. Um, so I was like, all right. What well, an opportunity at your yeah. age. That yeah, so around. originally I think it was for like six weeks. So I was like, yeah, well, I'll go, I'll do it. And um, you got to think back at the time then, full-time academy jobs were very scarce and it yep. was only kind of like the top, top teams who had full-time goalkeeper coaches or coaches in general. I think Swansea at the time just had a full-time head of academy. Everyone else was part-time. Uh, so I went went to New York and it was at the time where Red Bull just brought out Metro Stars, the New York Metro Stars. So where Tim Howard used to yep. used to play. So Red Bull kind of bought that. And so I worked in their um, like youth programs, development programs for, for probably two years. Um, and then I set up their like goalkeeper satellite centers like you have for, for all the clubs here. Um, so then I was pushing goalkeepers through into the academy uh, quite a few of them, and the academy goalkeeper coach left them to be a first team at Columbus, so they had no academy goalkeeper coach. So I literally said, "Look, I'll do it." So I I did it. I think for um, yeah, a short period of time just to see how I liked it. They they like me, and yeah, they just said, "Oh, do you want to go full time?" So I was head of academy goalkeeping at the Red Bulls. I think I was twenty. Three twenty-four. That's, again, that's a, a huge achievement at your age to have moved to, moved internationally and then to, to yeah, step and, up that quickly. And like I, I almost had to build a program and I yeah, didn't really have a load of experience of leading the program. It was kind of learn on the go. Um, but then started to produce a lot of goalkeepers for the national team. I think we had four um, goalkeepers who they had a residency program in Florida who would go down and live in Florida for the under-17 national team in preparation for World Cups. So within, I think, two or three cycles, I had four keepers in the residency program, so they'd go and live there. Um, so I had quite a lot of success in that, that short period. Um, and then, as I said, Red Bull bought New York Red Bulls. They had a team in Salzburg, one in Ghana, one in Brazil. Leipzig wasn't even going at that no, point. Yeah, yeah. So they had um, a head of global goalkeeping, um, Hans Leiter, who used to be at Spurs and works for, for FIFA now. Uh, and he his job was to kind of bring together all the the goalkeeper coaches and have the same philosophy. So he came over to New York for a week just to see how he's doing things. And he's like, he works, yeah, you basically said you works really good. Yeah. So then a week after he left, the academy manager pulls me in he said, no, I'll close the door. So I sat down and he said, oh, I've just got an email off hands. And I'm like, okay, where's this going? <laughs> One of two ways. This, yeah. yeah. So he goes, he was really impressed. Um, 
he wants you to go to Red Bull Salisbury. I was like, what do you mean? He said he wants you to, to go there to basically work next to him. He wants to develop you even further. Um, what do you think? And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll go. So yeah. it, I think it, was, it took maybe two months for it all to go through. Can, can I t- had you already done all your badges? I think I was on my B license. Yeah. I think they they were already ticked off by 19, I yeah. think. So, yeah, for me then to go... So I'd obviously come from Europe, gone to America, had like four years there, and then to go to kind of like... That was the main Red Bull club at the time. So go there um, and being a British coach in Europe, even now there's not many, yeah. working in academies especially. I thought, yeah, well, why not? It's an unbelievable opportunity. So I, I went there... Um, and it was the best year that I that I had, and I could have stayed there for three years. Um, foolishly, I'm not sure. After a year, I said I want to go back to New York, and I think I was 25 when I went to Salzburg. So I'd just come from New York when I was 24, and yeah, the whole kind of lifestyle from New York to Salzburg is yes, literally chalk and cheese. <laughs> Shops in Salzburg didn't open on Sundays when New York 24 hours. Yeah. All my friends were um, yeah, in New York. So at that point in my career, I said, oh, I'll go back to New York. Did that also feel like because you was building something at New York that you had almost started and took it through? Yeah. But then looking back now, I probably should have stayed. Um, yeah, because Salzburg, yeah. They play champ in the champion stuff yeah. and, and huge team, but I think at the time it was kind of yeah maybe a little bit of immaturity from from that standpoint. And uh, when I went back to New York, they said, "Oh, you'll do the reserve team and stuff like that." So probably should have stayed, but I didn't. But then that that kind of adds to the journey. I think of of decision making down the road. Sometimes you the grass isn't always greener. Of course, yeah. Um, so yeah, had one year at, at Salzburg. And then went back to New York for, I think, 10 months. And then my goalie coach at Swansea, so when I was training with the youth team and the first team, Tony Pennick was the academy manager at Swansea. So he calls me up and he's like, we need, we're going for category two, I think, for the um, EPPP audit. We need a head of academy goalkeeping. Do you want to come back? I'm like, Yes. So if you think like the start of the journey, I was part-time with Swansea. They didn't have any full-time except for the head of the head of youth. Yeah. And then you, I think it was maybe eight years later, the clubs developed. Now it, they were in the Premier League. Swansea boy, and they've asked me to come back as head of academy goalkeeping. And it's like... Massive honour that. Yeah. yeah, massive. So it's like, oh, I said, yeah, when, when shall I start? It's like two weeks. I'm like, yeah, but I've got apartment and car and stuff in, in New York. Um, and I actually took a pay cut to go back to Swansea. But it wasn't, it was, for me, it was about the opportunity. So, yeah, I didn't really, yeah, I went back to New York to kind of implement everything I learned in Salzburg back to New York. But then, obviously, a Premier League club, hometown team, yep. into a role probably if you had asked me when I was 18, 19, would, would you have loved it? Then yeah. Absolutely. So, so yeah, I ended up going back to Swansea and was head of academy goalkeeping there for six years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like 
little bit of a, a roundabout to, to come back to Swansea, yeah. which which was nice. And um, yeah, again, looking to develop a program. So when I went into Swansea, I had those years of experience from Red Bull to build a project, which obviously now is a Premier League team and ultimately got category one. So yeah, yeah all different experiences to get me back to Swansea, six years there. Um, and then it was the first team got relegated in the summer and I was doing a conference in, in America. Randomly, I wasn't looking to, to leave. Randomly, I got um, a LinkedIn message from Orlando Pirates, South Africa. Amazing, yeah. Saying we're looking for a first team goalkeeper coach. Um, we're playing in the African Champions League because they finished second the year before. Would you be interested? So I'd, at this point, I'd been in like Youth Football Academy football for about 12 years. And I always wanted to go into a first team. Um, so I had, when I was at Swansea, I had Adrian Tucker as first team, keeper coach now, England. Javi Garcia, who's at Aston Villa now. Yeah. Uh, and Tony Roberts. So all three of them were really good for my development. I used to say, I'll come in and help out with serving. And so you had a little bit of a feel for a first team. Yeah. So I always wanted to try and push into there. But then I had an offer from South Africa. So it was one, okay, well, do you go literally outside your comfort zone or do you stay at Swansea? You, and, you clearly don't mind taking risk. And, yeah, it was a little risk. but uh, And you look forward to an opportunity of doing something for yourself. and Yeah, and I think sometimes people sometimes yeah stay quite comfortable. Yep. But we had been in South Africa for three weeks, two years previous to that, with the end of 19s for a tournament. So imagine the Swansea boys yeah. going to South Africa for a tournament because one of our owners was from South Africa. So while I was there, you could see, kind of yeah, understand the country, the culture, and the, the league. Majority of the games were played in the World Cup stadiums from 2010. So I had an idea of what I was going into. Then obviously researched the league, asked some questions, and um, spoke to some people in South Africa who I'd met before and they said Orlando Pirates is one of the biggest clubs in Africa. Uh, so I went, yeah, let's go. And let's have a go. what an unbelievable year for experiences. It was, yeah, culturally just so different. But again, it part of the journey, which makes my experiences, yeah, that that much bigger. It must have been like two jobs, obviously, like what you're saying, like the culture and the lifestyle. Away from football, it must have been so, such a contrast from what you're used to. But then when you get back into work and coach the goalkeepers and you work with a football team, it must have been so amazing to be part of that experience that they were trying to build and stuff. Yeah, the so the, the club Orlando Pirates, yeah, one of the biggest in Africa. Yeah. And the fan base is massive. And I wanted to experience first team as I said, so it's not just the training session, it's everything that comes with it. It's the, the pressure of three points. It's stuff with the media. It's And when you're in South Africa, you get recognised. And if you win on the weekend, it's like, hey, coach, congratulations. If, if not, you get ignored, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so I lived in an apartment in a hotel, and every time we won, I'd go downstairs, and the guy from the coffee shop, oh, Andrew, hey, coach, here's a coffee. When we lost... It, just totally ignore you but that's how much it means to to the yeah. people and and yeah culturally a lot different to anything i've ever experienced before and this yeah just the makeup of the country's 
quite complex as well. So it, you have to try and get your head around that and working with different players from different backgrounds. Some had never had education. Some had education. Some have never left Africa. Some, it's just, it's hard to describe unless you're there. Yeah. Um, but wonderful people. And as I said, we, we played African Champions League. So I went to places like Zambia, Namibia, Zimbabwe. Then we played team in Morocco, um, Guinea, which I never even <laughs> knew where it was. So like, and again, you, you go through Africa and there's different parts of Africa, have different levels of poverty of as course, well. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you just have to go to these places to understand that actually you don't have have a, have a bad, bad life. Yeah, and some eye-opening stuff along the way. Yeah, like some, yeah, you drive through places and, you know, I was lucky to live in a really nice place in Johannesburg. But then literally across the road, you'd have, yeah, um, people with literally nothing living in tin sheds and stuff yeah. like that. And it's quite humbling. And, you know, there's people within in the club who literally had nothing. So I'd always... Um, yeah, the backroom staff and stuff, I'd always make sure, like, in the airport, right, lads, what, what do you want? Because I knew that they hardly got paid anything. I was on, you know, um, a decent decent contract for going. And, you know, for me, it was just trying to help out. And, you know, I still send some... The guy from the coffee shop, I still yeah. send money every Christmas to him no and his family because they, because they don't have a lot. And yeah. um, I think it just opened that kind of human side to, yeah, yeah. to things as well. Um and that, that year, in terms of the football side, we lost, like, the FA Cup on penalties and we, we lost the league by a point or two. Oh. So it could have been a little bit different from that side, but, yeah, experience. Just an experience in itself. Yeah, like, in incredible. And, um, yeah, people say, like, yeah, South Africa, is it dangerous? It's no more dangerous than going to your... the worst part of wherever you're from in yeah, the UK. Yeah. Um, but yeah, amazing people, amazing experiences, and it helps me even in with with Southampton when you have a lot of African players. Yeah. And you, well, I say, oh, I, I worked in um, South Africa. Oh yeah, where? And yeah, played Champions League and maybe in their country. Yeah. And you can relate to them a of little course, bit more. Of course, yeah, no, hundred percent. And also, little things that they do, you actually understand where some of the coaches might have a different view because they actually don't understand why they do certain Culturally, things. Culturally, why they do things and their habits. Yeah, so, you know, from that side, again, it, like, it's just, a for me, part of the journey of how, how to deal with different peoples from different cultures and backgrounds and things like that. Uh, I think you've brushed over a job with Sierra Leone as well, haven't you? Yeah, so this that was when I first went back to Swansea. <laughs> One of the coaches I was with in New York, uh, Johnny McKinstry, he got a job with the national team in Sierra Leone. So... He asked me just to come and help out. It was was only for a game or two. And, um, yeah, that was probably my first experience of Africa. And, um, yeah, I was doing that alongside Swansea, so it, nothing more more from that came yeah, out, really. Yeah. But, um, again, just another experience along the way and, yeah, one that you think kind of builds to your to your journey. So from all of that, all the travelling around the world and everything that you've learned, you then got the opportunity at Southampton, which would... Getting that phone call must have been huge. Yeah, it's it's a little bit surreal because I remember I still got the text from Ralph saying, "Hi, it's Ralph Hassanoodle, Southampton manager." Surely you've printed that and put that in a frame. <laughs> yeah, it's on my screenshot. And I'm like, 
it's hard to kind of yeah, yeah. I'm actually in South Africa at this point. Yeah. Um and the link came through. So he wanted basically a goalkeeper coach who understood the Red Bull system, who was British and there's only basically one that that's done it. So um so he said, Are you available to talk? So I said, yeah. So I spoke to him on the phone. He's like, oh, can you present to me um, on your philosophy and things? So I was like, yeah, fine. Thinking he'd say, oh, next week. This call was 8 o'clock at night. And, it, and uh, <laughs> he goes, how about 10 o'clock tomorrow morning? Wow. And I'm like, uh, yeah. I said, yeah, fine. Bear in mind, this is probably the biggest opportunity and probably a life-changing opportunity. Yeah. So I said, well, yeah, because if you delay it anymore, then he might say, "Oh, might well, pass you by." Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, of course, yeah, you've got to take these opportunities. So I remember, I remember being my in my uh, apartment, going, "Okay." So I sat down. I literally worked all through the night. I had a, a little bit of sleep. I think between like four and six a.m. But I was just so like wide adrenaline, just trying to get this presentation done. And I remember my missus bought me breakfast and stuff just before she's going to work, and I can't remember. One eating it or seeing it, just because I was in the zone because I need to get it done. So ten o'clock came, I was in a conference room in the hotel and I had the analyst from Pirates. He's the only one I told um, that that there's an opportunity. So anyway, did the did the interview and um, yeah with Ralph and he's he's yeah quite impressed. So anyway, literally put the the phone down and I was just gone. Yeah, I bet shattered. Just exhausted. Um, yeah, it was just that 12 hours I don't even remember. But then I remember speaking to the to the chairman of Southampton and he's like, oh, Ralph is really impressed. We want to offer you a contract, this, that and the other. So I said, I'll come to Southampton. He said, no, no. But the same as what I just said, I didn't want it them to have a change of heart. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you want to get it done, don't you? So I literally flew from South Africa to London, met with the chairman, signed the chairman, and then flew back the same day. So I was in Southampton, I think, for eight hours because I wanted to get it nailed down. Yeah, of course, yeah. So I, I literally flew 24 hours for eight hours in Southampton Did you have to, just, to, just to make it... Concrete, done and dusted. So you went back to South Africa to, to presumably well, go and get your stuff? Yeah, to get all my stuff. Wow. That's a hell of a journey as well. That. Yeah, ex exactly. But yeah, as I said, amazing time in South Africa. There was tough times along the way. Yep. Um, like I think in any journey, there's always going to be things like you miss home and um, yeah, those types of things. But great club, yeah. really good people. Um, and yeah, I still speak to some of their board and just wish them, yeah. Merry Christmas and all those things because I think you know they treated me so well out there and um, but when I, when you get an opportunity yep. in the Premier League you have Can't to take it, it down, and, yeah. and I think if you think about it to take a coach from South Africa into the Premier League it's a big thing I don't think there's probably been anyone jump that bigger no. you know sometimes you go from academy to a first team which is a, which is a big jump but then that's a huge step, yeah. No, obviously, like, full credit to the presentation you must have put on and the learning that you've done around the world. Uh, before we start getting into like the Southampton stuff, uh, how does it compare coaching children to to adults? Obviously, the, the, the levels are different, but does your approach to coaching change? 
Um, I think it's probably what I learned from when I was in South Africa. So when I was there, I was, what was I, 32. One of the goalkeepers was 36, had four kids. And I think that's when you go into a first team, that's what you deal with. You deal with can't come to training or I'm, I had a shit night. Uh, can you swear? Yeah, of course you can swear. I yeah. had a shit night's sleep yeah. because the kids were up or the kids were ill. And it's how you deal with that side of it. It's a it's an added layer of complexity on it. Um, where kids, they have their own stuff as well. They might have had a bad day at school. They might have exams. So yeah. you, I think ultimately you're trying to work and develop with players and goalkeepers different stages in their lives where, yeah, there's loads of different things going on. When you get to the first team, you've got contracts, you've got, um, yeah, the performance of w winning three points. Yep. Younger down, there's still pressure to get a contract for the next age group or the, or the next one. So in terms of the way I deal with it is, yeah, you need to try and develop them as, as people, young people, yep. or when you're dealing with senior pros, is trying to keep them hungry enough to, to keep going. Uh, and then when it comes to the goalkeepers, you, you can still develop someone like Willie, who's 41 or, or an under eight, nine goalkeeper. So just trying to tap into to how you can make them better in general, really. Yeah, like managing the, the personalities, like you said, is hugely important because all goalkeepers throughout their whole career will go through different pressures, like you're saying, contracts or dips in form and doing well and getting linked with big moves. It's about just keeping them humble, keeping them level, isn't it? And keeping them on the right path that you, you obviously as a coach would put in place going like, this is the steps that we're trying to take along your career. This is where we want you to go. Is that so important to, to put those plans in place of like, this is the long-term goal. This is what we see you doing for us at this club. Yeah. I think the difficulty becomes is you, from a goalkeeper cell or a club cell, you put the plans in place, but for whatever reason doesn't quite work out. Um, because yeah, academy players who could be like the best goalkeeper under 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, at 16 might physically not be the right profile for the club. Um, or, you know, with the first team, it's, they come in on a, on a brand new signing and they don't develop the way the club wants them to develop and they have to move on. So there's always, I keep talking about journeys for yep. players, for coaches, there's always ups and downs and it's how you kind of react against the, the tough times, I think, defines you as a, as a person and as a coach or as a, as a player. And it's interesting how people react in different circumstances. But I think when it comes down to it, the I always say like you have to be a good person you have to work hard enjoy what you do and you'll find the level that you get to yeah um and whether that's a professional goalkeeper or if it's non-league goalkeeper whether it's Sunday league whatever your level is I think as coaches you have to try and help them to get to whatever level they they can get to yeah I always think as well with a goalkeeper coach it's the enthusiasm that you bring to a session that your goalkeepers become more vested in you as a person. And like, I'm quite a, a loud, outgoing person. As soon as I get a goalkeeper coach that matches that, I'm like, this is me. I'm really going to like benefit the whole session. It will benefit myself. It will benefit yeah. the coach. When you, when you get to like every day you're going out and you're putting on a session, but you want your goalkeeper to get the most out of it, is sometimes is it difficult to be like, you've got to be consistent as a person, haven't you? 
Yeah, and that's one thing that I've always tried to do is try to put on a different session or a different spin to each session every day. Yep. When you've been at a club for four years, it's difficult. And I think Alex has been Alex McCarthy's been the constant all throughout. Yep. To try and yeah keep him motivated day in day out. Um, yeah, I try to think out of the box sometimes. Yep. But each session, I try to do something a little bit different. So, yeah, he's coming to train goal. What are we doing today? Just to keep him, his mind going as well. Uh, and I think that the biggest thing I learned from Willie Caballero coming in is he said competition, where sometimes I think maybe I was a little bit too like, right, this is what we're doing today. This is development. This, where Willie's like, I, I want competition. And we put maybe it's like, 3v1 or 4v1 boxes yep. and Willie's literally flying around the middle to get the ball because he's like we're competitors yep. we, we want to compete and if it's winning a, the ball in the middle of a 3-1 or head tennis or if it's winning on a Saturday that's how we want to do it so kind of I've changed a little bit of trying to put more competition in or score lines or yep. um, yeah losing team gets coffees or this or that and for me that that's helped me as a coach just from a conversation with Willie of what kind of what makes you take your hand want competition okay we'll have it yeah yeah and and the lads buzz off it then is it so dealing with the different types of goalkeepers and putting on the same session but for goalkeepers of all different abilities that's obviously one of the things that I think a lot of people would struggle with because like you're saying you've got Willie a 41 year old guy you had Gavin Bazunu that was a 21 year old kid to try and put on a session that's tailored for both to get stuff out of but they're at different levels. Is that difficult or is that something that you just adjust that session slightly going, Willie, you leave this bit out. Gav, you need to do more here. To be honest with Willie, he would never want to miss anything. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's times where you coach them different or the coaching points are different for each keeper. Yep. Um, so you've got the, exactly the same session, what's going on. But yeah, someone might... Be further down the line of the ball. One keeper might look to, to stay further back. One might be more proactive on the front foot where others will kind of stay back on the line. So, you know, for me, it's about trying to coach them for who they are in terms of their style of goalkeepers yep. and not saying, well, I all want you to be the same because they're not all the same. They all do different things, but in a framework for me, which fits into my philosophy and methodology, I think that's really important that, you know, I'm not trying to say, right, you're all going to be like Gavin or Willie or Al or Fraser. Yeah. Because no one can keep the ball out the same way. as Say like Fraser. Fraser's so big. Fraser Foster. He's so big. And the way he blocks the ball, no one else can really do it because no one's got his size. So you, you can't coach someone to be that goalie because that's the attributes that he has. But like you're saying, if you can make them a slightly bit more efficient at how they do that, and obviously Gav would have a lot more athleticism and you teach him to be more efficient at moving his feet to get his dive in. They generally, you're both going to keep the ball out of the net, but it's how you do it in your own style. So, for instance, with Alan Fraser, Fraser, majority of the time, would look to palm the ball away, yeah. and he was so effective. Like, literally, he's so strong in, like, his just arms his arms. Yeah. When it hit, and it would just fly miles. Yep. Where Al would look to catch probably majority of things. Yep. But they're both really effective in their own way. So yep. it wasn't for me to say, right, Al, I want you to start deflecting like Fraser, or Fraser start catching with Al. There'd be times where I'd say, you know, maybe think to, maybe it's an area it went into or Al in that one, probably too much pace, maybe. That's one to get rid of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but 
not to say right you need to be like him or, yeah. or vice versa so um as i said like gav does totally different things to willie to phrase to al um and it's about making them effective in their own profile and but at the same time you're trying to educate them as well to right sometimes you need to do this um and i i always do it with the especially with the senior ones some like all the information broke down right was my hand position where others just want to make saves and were effective so they'll put sessions on that is working on a specific thing for you yeah. but you actually don't know you're working on yeah, it yeah, yeah. so i'll put them in in scenarios where they have to make these types of saves or these types of actions but without actually saying right we're getting you in this position i want you to do this or that it then becomes muscle memory because you've trained them to do that and on saturday you're trying to recreate something that could happen and without them knowing it you've already recreated it during the week so it just becomes a, a habit of theirs yeah and it even goes down to like analysis before the game so i will look at all the opposition strikers and put kind of um, trends of each striker do they run in behind do they have first time finishes do they hit from distance so I'll create like a minute minute and a half video of all the opposition strikers but I've had some keepers say I don't want that yeah. I just want to play it as is but there's uh, other keepers where they'll go I want every single bit of information yeah. shot maps where they um, where the crosses come from for me there's no right or wrong way but I, for me as the coach, I give them all the information and they can sift through it as, as they want. Yeah. See, for the ones that don't want that information, then do you still try and sneak in training sessions? Yeah, yeah of course, yeah. you have to. This is obviously your base, your session around what you see from the next opposition. Yeah. And then they won't even know that they're doing it. If they're doing reaction saves, it's because the team that they're playing against on Saturday scores a lot of cutbacks. Yeah. And you'll base everything around stuff like that. So, for instance, you prepare for Man City. Yeah. You know a lot of their um, finishes are from centralised, from cutback situations. Yep. So from the start of the week, I know that I'm gearing up for those types of situations. So the start of the week will be more kind of the technical actions, maybe turn off the post, yep. those types of things, and then build it into a bigger picture um, where we'll have maybe three or four keepers working. Could be a shot, could be a cutback. Um, could be one where it's cut back, let through, and then it goes to the back post and they have to scramble, scramble over. Yeah. So those are the types of sessions that I like to do. And then the crossing for Man City's little half space cross. You know, De Bruyne just kind of yeah, dinks it, it to the back. Feeds it into the gaps, yeah. Feeds it into the back post and Haaland just like heads it or volleys yeah. it in. So I look to create those situations. So even if they don't, per se, like looking too much into the detail of each individual attacker, yeah. That they see the pictures in the week, yeah, yeah of course. Um, and some triggers like one of the big ones was Adama for Wolves. He'd get there on the top of the box, right on the wing. He'd take a massive touch, get right down to the byline, dink it, it up, in yeah. um, for Raúl then to, to head it in. So, like some of the triggers, like as soon as it, he takes that big touch and he's right on the byline, you can start to adjust back off, yeah, back and out, yep. for for that ball. So, um, that's a part I really enjoy with the with the coaching is kind of identifying areas of strength for the opposition um but even like down to the warm-ups uh sorry but you know like your work on in the warm-up a bit of fast feet and a turnout yeah 
Like, and people will just go, oh, it's just a standard warm-up. But it's not because the thought process of you doing that is a turnout, a couple of fast feet to get that scramble across for that yeah. hung-up cross. Yeah. And like even got goalkeepers ourselves, we just go through the paces in a warm-up and we don't realise half the time yeah. that the coaches thought about this because our turnout, two fast feet to then go into a dive is because they're working on a cross to a diving header. And we wouldn't even think about it. Yeah. I'm, like, I've done it a million times myself. I just go... Oh, not this warm up again. And you're like, oh, it probably is structured for what we're doing on Saturday. So, like, one of the big ones is crosses. So, if, if it's like the Arsenal's Man City, we'll do cutback crosses in the yep. warm up. If it's teams who we know from deep free kicks, we'll just shell it in the box. If you're playing Burnley or. I'll, I'll, I'll adjust then yeah. the, the crossing zone. So, again, they, they get the ideas from there. Um, so, yeah, I enjoy that, that type of kind of like analyzing the trying to pass in the information. As I said, some really want all the information, but I'll always do it full yep. and then give it to them and say, look, take what you want kind of thing. Um, and it's the same for the attackers. So I always do ways to score against the opposition keeper. Wow, yeah, you look into that depth, yeah. Yeah, so it's, um, it could be one, I won't name the keeper, that he, when he spreads, always goes to his right. Yeah. Always, always, always. So there's room over the left shoulder. Yeah. Or goes to ground early. Um Leaves, leaves a near post open, not good on crosses. Yeah. So if we're doing set pieces, we know we can really um, yeah, load the front post up and put the keepers under pressure. So for me, that's a big part as well is trying to, for me as a coach, not just keeper coaches, help the team to win. So yeah. um, as I said, if there's weaknesses in the opposition keeper, I'll put the video together. It goes on the iPads of the the outfield players and also the coaches, I'll give them the information. So when they're doing their finishing drills, they can do specific types of finishes or areas where we feel we can benefit. In, do, do you ever game. ask your goalkeepers in those drills to act like a certain goalkeeper? Like, so, especially the youth team ones that come up and yeah, join it. Yeah. Do you say, for, for instance, Hugo Lloris does this. Yeah. Can you try and recreate this sort of a pattern? Yeah, so we've done it. It's with more so with the youth players yeah. where it's almost like, right, you have to earn your stripes a little bit yeah, in the first team yeah. environment. Um, so we'll say so-and-so um, plays really, really high. Yeah. Or yeah, looks to always defend one part of the goal. So we'll do that. Or goes down easily. So we try to, yeah, yeah. to pass Recreate that information. That, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it is harder with to say to like a, one of the pro keepers <laughs> to do so. But then there's times where Willie being Willie will understand it's for the team. Yeah. So there's a few keepers in the Prem now leave loads of space in the near post yep. for cutbacks because they want to protect more of the space. So Willie being Willie understands it's for the team. And on those crosses, we'll literally go, go on, try and squeeze it in the near post. Yep, cheat, yeah, yeah. Um, and Willie at times last season went mental because the lads didn't get their head up and recognise there. Yep. So that's kind of... Um, yeah, his mindset more so to help That's the team. That's game understanding from and, him. And when yeah. he's uh, like a number three, I think you can do that, knowing that you're probably not going to play the next day. To ask yeah. a number two to do that, it's not as easy because actually they overnight something might happen. They might end up playing and they've the day before they've just been letting goals in the near post or leaving space that they wouldn't normally do. Yeah. Right, that, that leads me on really well anyway. Uh, how do you cope with a number one, a number two, a number three? And uh, the personalities that that's... I, I know it's, sometimes it's very hard. And normally the goalkeepers' union is so strong anyway yeah. that we're so supportive of each other. But still, behind the scenes, 
you've got a lot of personalities to deal with and a lot of disappointment almost. Yeah, it's it's difficult. When I arrived, we had Fraser Forster, Angus Gern and Al McCarthy, yep. like literally three Premier League goalkeepers right there. Um, and it's tough because when you go into an environment, you don't really know what's been said before or promised or those types of things. And yeah, when it comes down to it, only one's going to play and one's going to be on the bench and actually one's not even going to be getting dressed. Yeah. So, yeah, there's obviously... You have to manage that and it's not, not easy. Yeah. And as being the goalkeeper coach as well. You're like the mediator. You're the man in the middle. Exactly. You're, the goalies, we trust you. We respect you. But we also have that understanding where you might work for the club or you might work yeah. for the manager. So it's a really tough line to cross, isn't it? It's difficult. And, and I remember saying it to all the keepers, like there's times where, again, it depends on managers. Some, the managers make the decisions and that's it. Some might ask you for an input. It changes manager to manager. Um, and ultimately, the manager's decision is final because you know, they're their manager. Whether you agree or disagree, you, you as a goalkeeper coach have to go along with it. So you can get stuck in between at times. But I think what I've said to the keepers is, regardless of decisions, I'm still going to try and make you a better goalkeeper. Yep. Um regardless whether you're playing or not. And I think it's an easy thing. Yeah, well, you would say that, but literally. So uh, you have to, I think you have to understand sometimes where they're coming from, have a little bit of empathy. And there, there was a, a time where we were chopping and changing and you understand what the keepers are going through. And But ultimately sometimes, and I'd say if, you know, we've made this decision as a coaching staff, yeah. Um, there's been times previously where I had no say and there's times where I had a say. And I think what I've learned now is just to be honest with them through good and bad. That's all a goalkeeper wants. Like I'll speak about it myself personally. As long as I feel like I can trust you, I'll back it, whatever yeah. you say. You know what I mean? If you tell me that like, this is the gospel truth, I'm not lying to you, this is what's been said. Even I was in on that meeting uh, and I heard this, this is what I think. Like, and then I'm like, that's fine. I've got no issue with you. I want to work hard for you. I want to make the session better for you because I feel like you understand because you've told me the truth. And that is, I would say that's 99 goalkeepers out of 100 would be like that. And, you know, there's other factors that go into it where, you know, it could be contracts yeah. and those types of things where the club say, no, he needs to play. It could be he needs to be on the bench, right? Yeah. He needs to go on loan. And sometimes it's n as a keeper coach, it's not in your control. Sometimes yeah. it is, sometimes it isn't. Um, so, yeah, it, it can be difficult at times. And there's, there's times where maybe I think, right, I should have said it the way it is, maybe not sugarcoated it in a way like, oh, keep working hard, but yeah, the other one's playing. Yeah. Um, but when you get into the kind of mindset of the keepers as well, I think you can understand them a little bit bit better. And, yeah. you know, I'd say to them, like, if you're pissed off, tell me. I'd rather you say than yeah, kind yeah. of just have a monk on, really. Yeah, no, of course, uh, yeah. But to, to be fair to all the keepers that I've worked with, not just in Southampton, in, in other ones, it's we've always had really good groups. And at times there's been different types of characters, some really, really quiet some not so some will 
just stay quiet if they're not happy some will voice it yeah but i think you you got to embrace all that because yeah as i said everyone's different um and it's just trying to navigate the best for the group and as i said individual goalkeepers okay well look you didn't play yesterday but we've got some work to do on you yeah exactly um, yeah. let's look to improve you so when you do get the opportunity you haven't wasted it yeah because i think the worst thing you can do is sack off training then overnight something's happened and you're not prepared for for the next yeah. game or the next opportunity oh, a massive part of goalkeeping coaching is definitely managing that personalities and knowing how to get the best out of some because like you're saying when you go through moments of disappointment sometimes it's reflection that you need and you need a couple of days off and come back in you feel recharged and by being honest with each other you end up understanding what each goalkeeper specifically needs some need to just go back on the training pitch and train it out of themselves don't they yeah and you you get when you get to know them personally that's exactly what it is you know you there's, there's been times where right, I want to go out and you're like, from a physical standpoint, sports side, oh, they can't go out, they just... Yep. But I know that he needs to maybe do a little bit of something just to keep him yeah, yeah. ticking over. Um, you know, there's there's you're literally like um, a manager of a, a small team, Yep. not just a goalkeeper coach. Everyone just thinks goalkeeper coach just kicking some balls, but ultimately you're trying to manage a group yep. and then you've got the team to think about and the club and, and all those types of things as well so yeah it, it can be more complex than yeah than what people think what a save from Smith, mark and Howard. this is the glove review on the yours mine away podcast right i, I want to do a little bit of a talk about uh, gloves and that it doesn't have, be, have to be too in-depth goalkeeper gloves you've brought in your gloves today that are two toes yeah uh you can you tell the story about how you changed them slightly yeah so uh, How important is a goalie glove for a coach, by the way? Or is it just look I've, the part, I, play the part? I've always worn... Yeah. I, I know people on the other yeah. podcast have said, I don't wear them. For me, it, it doesn't define you as a coach. It doesn't make you any better yeah. or worse. I just prefer to wear them, really. Yeah. So, yeah, I've had two now for, well, the last few years at Swansea. So what's that now? Probably six, seven years. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, they, they made these, which were just plain white. Yeah. And I like white gloves. Yeah. You're a traditionalist. You said about your yellow yeah. jersey, long sleeves. Just white gloves. And then for me, they were too white. There was nothing on them. but just literally plain white. So I think it was one day in the change room after the after trainer, I just sat there as a Sharpie pen. So, you know, all these like little grooves in here. I just got a pen, just started doodling. And then I literally went, see the grooves there, yeah. outlined it in the black pen. And I was like, actually, that looks all right. So I, so I took a picture sent to Simon from, from Tuto and he's like, yeah, it looks good. So yeah. we'll make them for you. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So he just made a batch for me. So I started wearing them and then put some pictures online and then literally Simon was like, we're getting so many questions. Where can I get them from? Um, that they ran them then t to make. And, can they roll them out as that model? Yeah. yeah, so they rolled them out. So it's strange now that, uh, like I've seen some keeper, I won't name them, <laughs> but wearing these in in like the Premier League or whatever and I'm like yeah I actually doodle I'll play the to, part in that to, yeah. to get that and there's there's keepers um, yeah up and down the leagues now wearing wearing those specific ones so yeah it's, it's quite a cool one but, but as I said personally I like to wear them uh, but as I said I there's keeper coaches who don't and yeah. it doesn't for me uh, it's not an issue as a coach then what's your perspective on gloves and what, what do you t teach your young goalkeepers 
or is it just about just making sure they're happy? Because half the problem when you're young is you don't get enough gloves. And yeah, when it must annoy the life out of a goalie coach, them turning up with gloves in bad condition. Yeah, too big because their parents say, oh, you'll grow into yeah. them. Uh, I think for the youngsters, it's cost because they cost so much money. Yep. Um, I think we're fortunate when you get given gloves and if there's a little bit of mark, you know, you can... Dispose of them. Yeah, but when you're even a keeper who doesn't get free clubs you have to make them last and i think durability and, and obviously the the fit is huge um but i think i said to you earlier like some of the keepers two pairs a week yeah and yeah just a little bit of bit of this and they'll throw them yeah and there would be times where i'll be like well no no, no. sign them we'll give them to the academy keepers yeah, of course, yeah. so like christmas time um yeah, they get so many. There's a, a good story with Fabianski when he's at Swansea. So at the Christmas time, we've got like a Q&A. So they, again, you've got to think that even though they're academy kids, they're still kids who have role models. So I said to Fabs, I said, Fabs, any of your old gloves, can you just sign them and we'll give them to the academy kids for Christmas? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. So literally the next day, he goes, Andrew, I've got uh, the gloves in the car. Quick, I said. I was think, thinking over like a yeah, yeah. month or two month period, you just keep them in a box. And then, and so he come to my car. So I went to his car, flipped the boot, it goes up, and I looked in his boot. I'm like, 20 pairs of brand new gloves. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, Fabs. I said, old gloves. I said, old gloves. He said, no, no, these are the last colorway. So obviously, what especially with the big did, boys yeah. with Adidas, they have to wear the latest colors. So it's like, oh, these are the last colorway. So I'm like, oh, Fabs, I said, honestly, the old ones. So I'm like, no, no, take them. So anyway, went into the uh, went into the training ground. And they were flying somewhere for an away game. And we're just in the reception area. And he said, I said, Fabs, aren't you supposed to, to fly now? He said, oh, yeah, the bus is late. Shall I sign all the gloves for you while we're waiting? And I said, no, Fabs, I said, you've done enough. He goes, no, no. Literally, pair by pair, 40. And his signature goes on for ages because he writes Fabianski there underneath each one. Yeah. 40 pairs. And like he's just a top, top guy. But then Christmas time, you give them to the academy keepers and it's like, you know what I mean? The parents are sending pictures where they're, yeah, like this, a a, a display. And, you know, sometimes that's that's why, yeah, I'll rescue some gloves from the boys and give them to, to the the academy kids because it means so much to them doesn't it right finally i want to go on to uh, uh, some advice for young gks that are out there we have a lot of young listeners and that and they're constantly messaging us asking for advice and tips and stuff what what do you think is the most important thing fundamentally from a very young age to put in place it's a difficult question at times but i think the love for for the position i think that underpins everything um and as I said, especially with, with this podcast, when you're getting all the pros on, the access to professional keepers these days, you see the person behind the gloves as well. Yeah. Um, and when you speak to them, they all have a love for the position, like literally just want to go out there and train. And you speak to pros and young keepers, they some some prefer to be in a goalkeeper training session than in with a team. That, 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 I think that's every goalkeeper, by the way. Especially tactical stuff yeah. where you're standing on the edge for a half hour and you're, yeah. not, you're not, not doing too much. Um, so for me, it has to be in the enjoyment. Um, and then, yeah, as, as you find your level, it's about trying to be, the, as I said earlier, the, the best goalkeeper you can be at 
whatever level it takes you. Um, yeah, some end up in the Premier League, some end up playing internationally, but probably 99% don't. Yeah. But it's finding that level, finding where you're comfortable at, uh, and yeah, just enjoying flying around the goal, making saves, because yeah, whether you're under seven or in the Premier League, you ultimately just want to make saves and fly around the goal, isn't it? Yeah, I don't it, think yeah. it, it... It's just enthusiasm, it doesn't It doesn't change, does no. it? Um, and you see some saves in grassroots where you think, basically, that's the same as the pros do it and, yeah. and vice versa. So enjoying the position, taking it is for, for what it is and yeah, not putting too much pressure on because even with the grassroots, you get parents on the sidelines. You should have saved that. It's what it is, isn't it? Yeah, nonsense sometimes. Right, and then finally, I always end on this question now, but I like it. What does the goalkeeper's union mean to you? I think the respect that you're all on the same, you're in the same group on on a journey, which is can be slightly different, and helping each other along the journey. I think, yeah, as I said earlier, there's, there's times where you've got to play at the start of your career or the end, and just helping each other yeah, become better versions of them of themselves, really. Yeah. No, right. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on anyway, no, Andrew it's Sparks. A, it's been an amazing... been a pleasure. It's been really insightful. Uh, loads of educational bits in there. And uh, you, I think full credit to you as well for the journey that you went on to get to where you've... Like, obviously, being at Southampton, but to, to go around the world and make opportunities for yourself is uh, it's very inspiring for a lot of people. Yeah, and um, as I said, it's that's just my journey. There's yep. If you look at all the other keeper coaches, they've got their own journeys as well, so... Yep. Um, yeah, I've just been fortunate to to enjoy what I've been doing and, and yeah, can continue doing what I love doing. Yeah, well, I hope you get back in the job soon too. Yeah, yeah cheers. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, this has been the Yours Mine Away podcast. Andrew Sparks, what a guest! Thank you very much, Thank mate. You. Cheers. Make sure you go like and subscribe. Give us a five star rating. Uh, check out our YouTube channel too, guys. Take care. Bye. What a save from Mark Howard.